electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders tonight, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Pete Najarian. Coming up on Fast, a flood of earnings hitting the street. Facebook, Microsoft, Tesla, all on the move, all surging after reporting results. We'll break down the big headlines from each of those names. Plus, a Gilead game changer, what the company said about its experimental coronavirus drug that sent stocks surging today. And later, Grammy winner DJ Khaled is here, and he's going all in on the fight against the global pandemic. The big money he's bringing in to help those most in need. But we start off with an earnings alert on two major tech titans, Facebook and Microsoft, both on the move after reporting earnings. And we've got full team coverage lined up for you. Josh Lipton standing by on Microsoft. Loop Ventures, Gene Munsters gearing up for Facebook's call. We kick things off, though, with Julia Borson for more on Facebook's big quarter. Julia, quite a move. Quite a move, uh, Melissa. Facebook shares up more than 10% on better-than-expected revenue and user growth. CFO Dave Weiner reassuring investors by saying that while the outlook is uncertain, advertising is stabilizing so far in April. We're not immune to this from this crisis. Uh, we did see a steep decline in advertising revenue starting at about the first week of March, and uh, and that sort of continued. Now, we've seen some more recent stabilization. Uh, as part of the earnings release, we did include information about the first three weeks of advertising performance in Q2, so in April, and that's about flat year over year. Facebook also lowering its expense guidance for the year to between $52 billion and $56 billion, down from a $54 billion to $59 billion range as the company spends less on travel, events, and marketing, as well as slower headcount growth. Now, while Facebook's user growth and engagement did surpass expectations with 2.36 billion people using one of its apps every single day. The company does warn that they will lose at least some of that increased engagement when the stay-at-home orders are lifted. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Um, so we go to Guy Dami first. This is an extraordinary move in the after-hour session. Let's be clear, between Facebook and Microsoft, we are talking about 7.4% of the S&P 500 ripping higher in the after-hour session. Staggering move on, on, on top of what has been a staggering move. So now the question is, how do you trade it? I think the all-time high was 224 and change back in January. It absolutely feels like it wants to go there. You know, looking at it, and Tim can speak to this, I mean, our poo, and Tim can fill you in on what that is, but that was better than expected, 696 <laughs> versus 689. And operating margins were a little light. So in the aggregate, I think it's a really good quarter. I think it trades back to 225, and then you have to take a powder, I think, and see what happens. Listen, if you listen to them carefully, they said we're not immune from the potential reduction in ad spend. So I think if it gets that 225 level, you pull the ripcord and live to fight another day, Melms. Not immune, but to think that the, the most recent three weeks in April were flat year on year. I mean, that is extraordinary to think that basically year, year on year, it's the same, Tim. 
Yeah, I would have uh, definitely you have to flag that number. It, it's amazing to think that they're flat and that. So this is more than stabilization. This is this is really actually seeing no change in their business. If you look at the engagement, that was up you know, a little over nine percent. Uh, Guy pointed out those avenue, average revenue per user metrics, which are really important. So uh, I think you get back to a place with Facebook and you decide what multiple you need to put on the stock, because relative to itself, Facebook here is somewhere, you know, 28, 20. 27, 28 times for, you know, a stock that's been trading 21, 22 times over the last couple of years. So um, this has been a V-shaped recovery. Let's be very clear. Uh, this stock is now up through where we were kind of Feb 21 with this after hours move. Um, so you start to wonder um, the delayed response to ad revenues, which we have to expect. Um, it, it's one thing to have that stabilization, but to expect that the, the, the advertising revenue trends are going to hold in there. And this is one of the first stocks people want to go to. It's part of the reason why the reaction been so strong because this is extraordinary in the short run, but I'm not sure you want to chase the stock here. I mean, Wedbush was flagging that earlier this week, I believe, in its note, saying that they expect for the rest of the year ad budgets to continue to go down, which seems like a fair assumption. But Karen, if you think that Facebook is the place to be, then maybe ad budgets go down. And relatively speaking, mm -hmm. Facebook still gets a big piece of that pie. Right. Or they go down less. I mean, you know, the flat year over year is pretty amazing. But just when I step back and think about what were some of the things that were weighing on Facebook before the pandemic, it was revenue growth, the pace of revenue growth, um, which I think they've addressed really nicely here, considering the global environment. And then it was also expenses, which uh, oddly from this, they're actually going to be able to reduce expenses. And then the third thing was the political climate surrounding Facebook and others on privacy and issues like that. And, and, you know, and what, was, what antitrust um, sort of actions would be taken. I think those latter ones are almost completely gone. So if you remove that headwind from them and think, all right, they were flat in April, year over year. So if we're just a year, if just a year later and this is where they are, I think that's pretty good. So, um, you know, I'm long. I, I, I do think it's been quite a sharp very sharp rebound. That makes me a little hesitant, but I, I think this shows just the power of that business. And remember, balance sheets like theirs, like Google's, like Microsoft's, are where you want to be. So uh, I'm going to hang on to it. Um, I think I'd love to hear what they say on the call. It's been, it, it's, I'm very impressed so far. The, the context of the move, Pete, I think that's important to keep in mind, and that is it's bounced significantly off of the March 23rd lows up where up near 20 percent or so. It was up 6 percent in the regular session today. And then in the after hours is up another 10 percent. So where are we right now in terms of Facebook's valuation and what it is? I mean, I think investors are assuming that flat year on year for the most recent three weeks means the coast is clear. I'm not sure if that's really what we should be believing right now. I don't know that it's the coast is clear, Mel, but I think what I, we're seeing here and everybody's using the word stabilized, and that's because that's the word that was given to us. And Quite honestly, when we look at the stabilization, yes, that's really important because are they really absolutely exploding to the upside? No, but they're growing when people wouldn't expect them to. And I think part of that is because we talk about the verticals all the time. So when we talk about the verticals, it's not just a Facebook story. It's the other companies within Facebook. So it's Instagram, it's WhatsApp, it's Messenger. The usage growth in those throughout the month of March was absolutely astronomical. So the strength that we're seeing in all the verticals. Oh, and by the way, the idea that they want to go in competition with Zoom and the effects that that had almost immediately in terms of Zoom stock price versus Facebook's, I think that says a lot about who they are. And I think a lot of that has to do with something Karen pointed out. It's the balance sheet. When you got that kind of cash flow that they've got 
and you've got all of that cash that they've already got on the books, and now that's over $60 billion, plus very minimal debt. This is a company that makes so much sense. It's why so many have been flocking towards it. It's why it had made this big move off the lows before this earnings report. Now, to Tim's point, though, I would agree. I don't know that you want to chase it here. But with the, with the 224 high or thereabouts, I think you're looking at a stock that's really traded per, almost to perfection. So I feel like there's more room to the downside from here than the upside. Doesn't mean I'm going to sell out of my position, but I certainly don't think I'm going to be doing any adding. Or if I wasn't in the stock, this is not the time to, that I would be approaching it to try to put in a new position. I think this is something where you manage a position, but I don't think this is time for a new position right now here. All right, let's get more on Facebook's quarter. Bring in Fast Money friend Luke Ventures, Gene Munster. He's been manning the red phone, as you see there, listening in on the company's call. Um, so, Gene, you went into this, into this report Neutral near-term, neutral long-term on Facebook. Does this quarter change your mind? Well, I got to give them credit. I've been a long-term kind of conservative view on this story, part for just the uh, philosophy of their business. But what they've shown in the near-term is powerful. I think uh, your team has properly enumerated that. I would point out that longer term, I do see uh, there's a deja vu aspect to this related to Google, too, not only in the results and some of the commentary about the ad spending, but I think long term investors should think about what are the types of businesses that can uh, be trillion dollar type of companies. And this, of course, is an advertising business. And when you ask the question, how do I feel longer term about this? I'm still neutral. I still believe that for those winners, this is now going to be a $600 billion market cap. To really be a trillion dollar, you have to change the world beyond what is going on in advertising. Yes, they have growth drivers around Messenger and WhatsApp that undoubtedly will boast the revenue growth. This is a, a solid business. Uh, hats off to them in the near term. But I do see uh, uh, the, the language around investors and how they view this story longer term shifting to other ways that they can ultimately uh, grow beyond just advertising. How do you think about the commentary surrounding the, the most recent three weeks in April stabilizing, Gene? I mean, we were talking about this with Google in terms of how far in advance advertisers have to lock in uh, whatever they're buying. And, and at what point do you say, you know what, people, if they are going to cancel, we're seeing it in the results. You can back into, we did back into the numbers. So in Google's case, uh, they went from up 20% to flat over the final three weeks. In Facebook's case, it was likely up 25% and then went down about 5 or 6% in those last three weeks of the quarter. And now, as you said, is stable. And so, yes, there was, this did see an impact uh, greater than what Google did. Facebook's business did. But this bounce back, as someone who is uh, not a firm believer in, in uh, their mission, this bounce back is impressive and have to give them uh, credit for that. I just uh, think that the central question for long-term investors should be what is their encore? Messenger uh, uh, is, is probably not that. I do think one piece that Facebook can be transformative and really advance how humanity interacts is what they're doing around virtual reality and augmented reality. Mm -hmm. That to me is the big lever. That is something as they progress that I could get more optimistic about the story. Karen, I'll bring you in and I'll pose that question to you and you can also ask Gene about this. But in terms of what is their next encore? I mean, when you you are a, a holder of Facebook, you have been for a while. And so how do you think about that? Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, payments in what I, I'm not talking about Libra, 
Um, I'm talking about they're getting in the middle, in the middle of transactions. Um, that is one area of growth. I will see how they monetize, uh, you know, WhatsApp and a virtual. I, I mean, virtual reality has been that's been sort of a hope for a while now. Um, I think since they bought Oculus, which I don't remember now how many years back that is. So uh, that's not sort of. I don't see that in the very near term, but I guess what I think more about is what kind of multiple should a company like this have in this kind of environment instead of, um, and that being somewhat of of a floor for them, as opposed to where's the next giant revenue growth going to be from? Gene, quickly, you want to answer, Karen? Yeah, it's uh, more about augmented reality. We've been looking down at our phones. The future, and Facebook talks about this, is figuring our heads up with glasses and augmented reality. That's the real fundamental piece here. And I think that for law, for investors, ultimately the multiple is about what's on the come in the next few years. If you look at Google's lineup versus Apple and Facebook, it just it's needs more than just uh, WhatsApp and, and Messenger. All right, Gene, uh, we'll say goodbye for now. We'll talk to you about Tesla in a few minutes. Meantime, let's turn to Microsoft. That stock is uh, popping after reporting an earnings beat. We get to Josh Lipton with the details. Josh. So, Melissa, I checked in with uh, a Microsoft bull, Kirk Matern over at Everquire I just wanted Kirk's quick take on the quarter. He says good quarter against high expectations. You know, it's commercial cloud uh, revenue up 39%. The cloud business, in his words, marching forward. He does have questions about guidance here, given the uncertain IT spending environment. He also notes commercial bookings growth did decelerate from 30% to 12%. So he wants to know how much of that is COVID related. He's expecting to hear a wider than expected guidance range on the call. Just quickly through the segments, uh, Melissa, revenue and productivity and business processes, $11.7 billion. That was better than expected. Revenue and intelligent cloud clocked in at $12.3 billion, also better than analysts have been looking for. Within that segment, uh, the cloud uh, service Azure saw revenue growth of 59%. Of course, that's where Microsoft goes head-to-head with Amazon's AWS. And revenue in more personal computing, also beating forecasts at $11 billion, increasing 3%. Call kicks off at 5.30 Eastern. Melissa, back to you. When you mentioned commercial uh, bookings, Josh, does that include cloud? So I, I'm not sure. I hope to get more color on the call there. I did think that was an interesting metric that, that Kirk pointed out, that it did decelerate. Um, obviously, bookings now is revenue downstream. So hoping to get more color on that from CFO Amy Hood on the call, which kicks off in about 15 minutes, Melissa. All right, Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton. Pete Najarian, I go to you. You've been a longtime Microsoft fan. Yep, I like this name, and I love what they just put up. I thought the the quarter was really impressive. I think we, from everything across what Josh mentioned, a couple things he didn't mention, Teams. I look at Teams and the fact that they absolutely have gone right after Slack and others to compete in that market, and, and not only compete, but win in that market. I think that's really impressive. But on top of that, LinkedIn actually had another good quarter. So I, I think it's not just Azure, which was great, 59%. We know the attacks that they're going back and forth with AWS. AWS is still king. But Microsoft continues to move a little bit closer and a little bit closer from a market share perspective. And I think that's really important. Obviously, we'll hear more about Amazon in the future. But right now, I think this you could not have presented much better of a quarter, given all of the backdrop of everything they were dealing with, supply chain, everything else, the personal computers. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget, they have a gaming presence as well, Mel. They're doing really well there as well. So across the board, I like what they did with Microsoft. This is a name that ran so fast into this number and yet still, I think, uh, got better 
than people ever would have expected. And that's why we're seeing right. the stock up as much as it is. COVID has had a quote unquote minimal impact on third quarter revenues. And I thought that was pretty extraordinary guy until you really think about when CIOs green light deployments, right? I mean, they're not, I, I don't think that they're going to pull the ripcord on things that are mid deployment during the quarter. I mean, I, the proof will be probably in this upcoming in the, in the next couple of quarters. And things that are essential. And, and then you look at it and Pete spoke to it, but one thing he didn't mention was operating margins now approaching 69%, which is a pretty astronomical number. Um, you know, the knock on Microsoft, correctly or incorrectly, has been valuation. Right now, it's probably trading close to 31 times. But, you know, if you make me play the game, would you rather Facebook or Microsoft? Obviously, two very different companies. You know, I'm more inclined to stay with Microsoft here. Uh, you know, we, this is one we actually did a good job with. We thought it would trade down to 140. It got down there. If you recall, that was sort of the level that we topped out last summer into the fall. Made a lot of sense. It's bounced from there. I think 191 is the all-time high. You know, I think Facebook is going to fail at its all-time high, and I think there's a very good chance that Microsoft continues through it. So I thought it was a great quarter, and I think there's further upside for the name. Uh, Amazon, by the way, not that, the, that Amazon is directly re related to either of these names, uh, is up one and three-quarters percent. But I bring that up, Tim, because uh, we thought that there was this reversion trade out there, and, and now we've got MAGA, <laughs> we've got the biggest names on the index, all tech names, Posting better than expected earnings so far, and the other ones riding the coattails of the better than expected earnings. Do we go back to growth? Is it pretty extraordinary? And you talked about the weighting in the S and P here, and so if, and if you look at you know Microsoft and Facebook of the Nasdaq 100 are about 17 percent. So um, you know we already know what that's going to do tomorrow. So the outperformance, if you're playing it in ETF land, right? That's the triple Qs over the SPY. Um, I. I Yes. I mean, except for that today's trade for the market. And I know we're going to talk about this when we get to Gilead later in the show, but the impact uh, on those stocks that were really shut down on a longer term, uh, you know, kind of quarantine uh, dynamic for the economy in the country are the ones that are really flying high. So um, I think we are at difficult valuations for uh, these mega cap tech stocks. I think we were uh, two months ago. Um, but I, I do think that the balance sheets that are very defensive these two companies, I mean, Facebook has $60 billion of cash. They're spending $6 billion in India in the middle of a crisis because they can be aggressive here. So these are defensive stocks, no matter what you want to say. But no, I don't think I think the story right now for the market um, is, is that we are coming out of this faster if there are vaccine certainties or at least the question mm -hmm. of people getting back to work. That's so much better for the, the value trade right now than it is to me for mega cap tech. But MAGA plus F, Karen, and I'll create a, a sub-basket for you because certain <laughs> stocks are just simply not in your, in your wheelhouse uh, in, in terms of possible investments. But Apple, Facebook, Alphabet, are you getting concerned about these sorts of valuations here? Um, I mean, I guess I'm concerned to the extent that the market's bounce back has been so sharp that and these obviously have bounced back you know they're not far at all from all-time highs that that creates a level of risk however if the market does pull back because we've gotten too excited about the v-shaped recovery and it's not a v it's some other letter then i think they will outperform will they go down in that tape yes they will but they'll outperform some of the growthier ones certainly than then the the airlines and the restaurants and um the hotels guy down me quickly 
Is this going to be a sell the news sort of event, earnings being the news? Could happen with Amazon. Oh, I apologize. Sorry, Mel. It could happen tomorrow with Amazon. So one thing I've said for the last couple of weeks, and I guarantee I'm going to get fricasseed for this if I'm wrong, because that's typically what happens. But I said you own Amazon into earnings tomorrow, probably make a new all-time high, then you pull the ripcord ahead. I do think there's a chance that Amazon, the one that, although earnings will be good, will disappoint in terms of stock performance. Think about the move that that stock has had. You know, it's rallied some 50-something percent now off the low. I think there's a real good chance that you see Amazon trade back to the previous all-time high of 2170. So I think I'm sort of saying what Karen's saying. I think it will come in the form of Amazon earnings tomorrow. Coming up, Tesla zooming higher as the company posts a surprise profit. Gene Munster's back with us while he is calling this quarter a blowout. And later, we're getting you ready for tomorrow's big report from Apple, why options traders think there might be some pain ahead for the iPhone maker. Fast Money's back in two. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Tesla. The stock is surging, hitting after-hours highs after reporting a surprise profit for the quarter. Phil LeBeau's got all the details. Phil, what a big move. It is a nice move, Melissa. And when you look at the earnings report, remember the expectation, and they are, they're all over the place with Tesla. It's still not one of those stocks you look at and say, yeah, this is pretty much what people are expecting. Uh, people were expecting them to lose 36 cents a share. They ended up earning a profit of a buck twenty-four a share. No change in the production guidance from Tesla. This is all about what they're planning to do in terms of deliveries this year. And I know there are people who sit there and say, well, they haven't changed their guidance in delivery, so that's good news. There was simply no mention of this. Not a reiteration that they plan to deliver at least 500,000 vehicles. They did deliver 88,496 vehicles in Q1. By the way, that was some, a number that was out there since they reported deliveries at the end of March Q1 delivery. So, we were not expecting a surprise there. A few people had it at 89000 A couple other numbers to focus on from the first quarter. Cash on hand. Remember, they had the capital raise in the quarter, $8.1 billion. Automotive gross margins, 25.5%. And the profit guidance for now is on hold. A few people are also talking about the fact that the free cash flow was negative $895 million. And one last note, guys, has to do with the Tesla semi-truck. First deliveries, which were scheduled to begin at the end of this year, not going to happen. They're going to push that out until 2021. I know that guy was hoping to see one of these bad boys out on the road, driving all over the place in New Jersey, but that is not going to be the case for some time. Those deliveries pushed out to 2021. Melissa, back to you. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau in Chicago with the latest on Tesla and this 10% move at this point, Guy. Guy, can you wrap your head around why the stock is up 10% on this report? 
I mean, I, can I wrap my head around I mean, it, given you, this can environment? You, can you think I mean, of, clearly, of why? Uh, <laughs> no, I think because, you know, the fact that they're actually making money now, I mean, their cash flow is better. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible the seemingly turnaround out of nowhere that, that they've pulled off. Full disclosure, and I think people watching know absolutely. I mean, I couldn't have been more wrong with this stock for the last, I don't know, $400, $500 or so. You know, I, I got it up to 320 but up to 900 that's completely out of my ballywick. I mean, it's just the world we live in. I mean, people have cut them slack, and now they're sort of delivering on the back end. So good for Tesla, bad for me. It's about 90 bucks below its all-time high in the after-hour session. Pete Nigerian, how would you uh, think about Tesla? And I know you've got calls and a competitor. Yep. A quote-unquote yeah, competitor. Say, yeah, quote-unquote competitor, yes. Um, yeah, I, you know, the interesting part about this name is I've been very lucky a couple of times only because the options world has actually dragged me in there because – like Guy, I look at this stock and you, you look at it and you have a really hard time breaking it down. How do you actually analyze it? But I think the one thing that's helped me out a little bit over the years, and actually thanks to Gene Munster, years ago he and I were talking about this stock. And one of the things that stuck out for me, and I've used this ever since in terms of my description of Tesla, is it's a tech company. It's not a car company. Now everybody will push back and say, hey, well, why do you care about how many got delivered and all the rest of that? I get all of that. But when I look at this, I look at this the way I look at Apple and the iPhone, and that's the hardware. And then on the, the, the you, this is the automobile for Tesla. It all is. It makes a lot of sense. They've got the expensive version. They got the cheaper version. They've got all of this technology with the battery and all the data that they've collected. And when you get in there, you're literally sitting in a computer as you're driving. So for that reason, I continue to look at it more as a tech name. That's helped me out because there have been times where I've been able to be bullish on this name despite the fact that I realize that their market cap is significantly different and significantly better than GM, than Ford, than some of their competition that's out there in the auto I, industry. I, I get that argument on paper, but yep. when you really think about it, the difference is that Apple makes money off of services. Tesla doesn't make money <laughs> per se off, a, off an over-the-air update to its software in a car that it has sold. Right. You're, no, you're, you're exactly right on that perspective. But, but think about how long it took before Apple actually started getting into the services, then got into the wearables and all the rest of that. There might be something more to come, I think, in Tesla. Mm -hmm. But for now, I, I agree with you, Mel. And, and it's hard to really just you, you try to break down this stock in so many different ways. But that's been the only way that's actually helped me out, because there have been times when I've been able to be bullish on this stock. Right now, I haven't touched the stock probably in at least 200 points. But I had a couple of runs on the way up here that I was happy with. Right. But it's it, but it's so hard to get your arms around what this company really is. All right. Maybe Gene will help us. Salute Ventures' Gene Munster joins us again. Uh, Gene, what's your take on, on this 9% move? And uh, it's, I mean, if you take a look at the chart, it is a V-shaped recovery for Tesla stock. And Melissa, I think it's actually going to be going higher. It's $150, $160 billion capital market cap today. But if you think about the future of mobility and transportation, despite uh, all of its issues around Elon's behavior and uh, everything that uh, people can point to as the negatives on Tesla, I think that this company is fundamentally changing how people move around. I want to enumerate uh, why I believe that the stock is up. There are three basic takeaways. First, free cash flow was negative, much worse than people had expected. But that was because a channel inventory bill, basically, they weren't able to deliver at the end of the quarter. That's understandable. So you give them a pass. 
The second is they basically cashed in a bunch of EV tax credits. These are essentially other automotive companies that aren't producing enough electrical vehicles have to basically pay Tesla to get through regulatory hoops. And uh, that uh, those tax credits triggered a profit in the quarter. Uh, this is the fourth consecutive quarter with a profit, which is one of the hurdles to be inducted into the S&P 500. It is likely that they will be added to that. I think that is in part uh, moving the stock. And then the third thing is some encrypted language around deliveries and production. There is a distinction between uh, actually reiterating their delivery guidance and saying that they can produce enough to deliver. Those are very different, uh, very different uh, comments. But I think what one can take away is the streets at 403,000 deliveries for the year. Many uh, have thought that that was in jeopardy given everything that's going on. But my sense is now that they will probably fall short of that original 500,000, but comfortably exceed that 403,000. Mm -hmm. When you put all of this together and think about the future of uh, uh, Tesla, what does this ultimately mean? Is that the traditional car, to use that as an analog, is a trap. And to think about how, uh, as Pete was saying, as the car as a computer, to think about that piece, and eventually right. they will find ways to, to make money off services and software. I think this is uh, an undervalued story. One last question, Gene, because you mentioned the, the credits, and I believe it's, what, $340 million in credits, and that's not recurring. That's not recurring. It's sort of a one-off thing. So does that meet the criteria of S&P 500? I mean, from your standpoint, if you had to put a percent probability of Tesla being included in the S&P 500 by the end of the year, how high would that probability be? 60%. Sixty percent. Okay, interesting. I think they're going to get there. Six. All right, Gene. Thank you. Always more great than to half. Get your I analysis. think uh, the Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Is that a reason to buy the stock, Guy? <laughs> you know, clearly the reason to buy the stock was years ago. When remember the test drive we had at Short Hills Mall? I mean, oh, that that's right. We went to the cheesecake factory, sat in front of the fireplace, went to the cheesecake factory. Mm -hmm. Good times. So that was the reason. I mean, it, you know, being added to the S&P 5, look, I'll say it again. I clearly have no clue uh, when it comes to Tesla. So if you've been long the stock, God bless you. You know, see what happens at all time highs. And, it be, you know, it's become one of those things where you, you just can't get in the way. So I'm not going to. All right. We've got breaking news. Meantime, coming out of the White House, we get to Kayla Tausche with the latest. Kayla. Melissa, President Trump is still holding court with multiple business executives and reporters in the state dining room, but he's making some comments about a potential plan to shore up oil companies with reports that he was presented a slate of options today. He said that there will be a plan shortly uh, to assist the oil and gas industry amid all of this volatility and issues with storage there. The Treasury Secretary also chiming in and saying that it will not be a bailout of shareholders but it will protect national security interests, perhaps a veiled reference to the ability, a potential ability of these companies to access $17 billion in loans with strings attached that are provided by one of the previous stimulus bills. We are still awaiting what that uh, proposal is, what the government decides on that front. But as we are hearing this, we are also learning, Melissa, about the nine companies that the Department of Energy has cleared to store oil in the federal government's emergency reserves. It includes 
large companies like Chevron and Exxon and some mid-sized trading companies as well. And then also VTOL, which is a Swiss-based commodities giant, which is sort of the 900-pound gorilla in these energy markets. Uh, but perhaps an interesting name to see on that list, given its location overseas and some previous brushes uh, with U.S. government uh, investigations and issues there. But uh, we'll keep reporting this out, Melissa, and get you more details as we have it. It's not a bailout, so is the government uh, poised to hold stakes in these companies? Uh, that was not clear, um, mm -hmm. but perhaps it is uh, being framed that way because that money that is in the CARES Act, if that is the route the Treasury decides to go, that has very strict caps on executive pay, on buybacks, on dividends. So there is less going back to shareholders, uh, but we'll see exactly what terms Treasury demands there. All right, Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche, quickly, Karen, I go to you. We've seen uh, oil equities do pretty well uh, in the past couple of weeks. And so I'm wondering if you think this could be uh, affirming of the floor for these stocks. I mean, I'm just looking, you know, uh, Chevron trading higher in the aftermarket on, the, I think, I mean, the, the storage part was interesting to me. I just want to say kudos to Tim, who even at the very bottom, which was, I think, about, I don't know, three days ago, uh, which was probably 20 percent ago um, or more, um, you know, was absolutely willing to be long energy. I think that the fever is broken sort of here. So I will look, but I know I'm going to be so put off by the extraordinary V-shaped recovery over the last few days. But good for Tim for, for catching that one. Yep. Coming up, more on today's big market rally. We want to know what really drove today's surge. A new can't-miss Fast Money game is coming your way. And later, DJ Khaled is with us. He is going all in to help those in need during the coronavirus pandemic. You'll hear from him and billionaire Michael Rubin when Fast Money returns. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks surging today with the S&P 500 posting its biggest gain in nearly two weeks. So with so much news today, we thought it would be the perfect time to introduce a new game. It is time to play Name That Market Catalyst. So Guy Dami, you're the first contestant. You're actually the only one. If I'd asked you 24 hours ago why we would rally today, would you say A, Gilead, or B, the Fed? Well, that's easy. I can name that catalyst in, in one note, Melms. I mean, that's a layup. The Fed, clearly. I mean, come on. Nope. Sorry. The correct answer is Gilead. Oh, <laughs> the market's geez. soaring after the company reported positive test results for its potential coronavirus treatment from Desivere. And while we did hear from the Fed today, Chair Powell basically said the Fed will continue to do whatever it takes to support the economy. So, 
with the Fed backstop seemingly firmly in place? Does it all come down to hope for a coronavirus treatment? Tim, what do you say? Well, look, uh, you know, it's a frustrating day to listen to the Fed because, they're, you know, they're back patting themselves, talking about how they stabilized the market. Uh, I'd love to hear the, uh, the Fed talks about how they're going to get out of emergency stimulus and emergency policy sooner this time. Um, and, and I'd love to hear the Fed's view on, on bailing out, you know, levered long investors and a lot of things that have happened in this run. So um, I, I do think that, that today's story is about Gilead. And, and I do think it is about the sense that all of these companies, and I'm talking about the ones that are the most bombed out, not the, the blue chips and, and the top of the food chain we've talked about earnings tonight, are the ones that actually, uh, you know, can start to see maybe bringing in that timeline for recovery to when things go back to whatever the new normal is. But, but for airlines, for car companies, for cruise lines, uh, even for banks, um, this is the kind of day uh, that allows people to really look to the other side. So um, exciting day, strange day where the Fed's in there, um, still with this crazy 2% inflation target. So, you know, kind of mixed when I listen to the Fed on a day like today. Should we be looking to the other side, Karen? I mean, so, so soon? We were just on the side a few weeks ago. Um, now we're looking at the other side. <laughs> I know. I mean, I guess, you know, we sort of look to China as one who has been through it already and come out the other side. And the bounce back there seems to be, you know, pretty strong. And I think that I, I'm going to challenge the I, I'm going to go with Guy actually, and say the Fed. I mean, it almost doesn't matter how long it takes to the other to get to the other side if the Fed says we're not going to let you fall. We're going to be there. We're going to do whatever it takes, no matter how long this is, no matter how deep this is. We're going to provide a bridge to the other side. That's kind of what they said, right? So, to me, that that's that was bigger than the than the drug trials. So, guy, guy is not alone on that. I mean, what what Karen and I have been discussing over the past <laughs> couple of days. Um, offline, and this is how, how interesting we are as people, is the, we talk about the HYG a lot. <laughs> and that's really dominated our conversations, honestly, right because on. the Fed hasn't spent a dime and look at the results it's had already, Pete. So there is this firm belief in the market that the yeah. Fed can utter words and, and the markets will move tremendously based, based on those utterances. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that they, they're the backstop. And, and like you, we always say on this show, and we've said it forever on CNBC, is you don't fight the Fed. And you don't fight the Fed. But in terms of recent catalysts, just go back to last Thursday with Gilead and all the news and the big spike in the markets that we had then. And then, obviously, we followed that up. Stock actually went down because, well, this thing's maybe not as great as expected. But I think, again, to see what we saw today and the movement, the markets absolutely flew on this Gilead news. And the reason being is that is something that maybe does bail out the Fed to some degree at some point. I don't know if you would agree with that or not, Tim, but I mean, what I see here is any kind of hope, any kind of glimmer of light that we get from any one of these pharmaceuticals, biotechs, whatever it might be, suddenly everybody has hope. And so we watch the airlines, which we had no hope for just not too many days ago, have a little bit of hope to the upside. We watch Delta and everybody just screaming right. to the upside. And I think a lot of that, Mel, has to do with the fact that if we can find that bridge, not sure. through the Fed, but the bridge through Gilead or somebody else, we have an opportunity to maybe come back to some sort of normalcy someday. Just quickly, I'm going to pull the curtain back for one moment and reveal that we actually asked Guy to say the Fed. <laughs> 
uh, for for uh, television purposes, oh, no. if you will. <laughs> but Guy, no. what is your true belief in terms of <laughs> what this market moved on? <laughs> Well, no, I mean, it, 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 clearly it was the Gilead news without question. And I was more than willing to play your reindeer games, Mel, and say the <laughs> Fed. But if you really look at it, I mean, you know, in terms of when the Fed came out and started jawboning, the market actually went you know, sideways to slightly lower. So in, in retrospect, it was clearly Gilead. With that said, you know, we mentioned Dread Pirate Roberts yesterday. I know Pete's a big Princess Bride fan. And by the way, uh, Mandy Patinkin and Carrie Elwes, who I pre- butcher his name. Uh, They're big fans of Fast Money and they're watching right now. So they know exactly what I'm talking about. All you have to do is have the auger, you know, the the presence of being a bully. You know, the Fed doesn't have to do a thing and the market rallies. That was my point yesterday. And I guess that's my point again today. All right. Up next, we're counting down to Apple earnings. What to watch for when the tech giant reports tomorrow. Stay with us. Another check on Facebook. That stock is surging in the after hours, up 10.5%. The earnings call is underway. We'll bring you all the big headlines. But coming up next, Grammy winner DJ Khaled is with us. He took the all-in challenge, and he is bringing in big money to help the millions of Americans struggling to put food on the table. He joins us when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The big week of tech earnings gets even bigger tomorrow when Apple reports after the bell. The stock is negative on the year, and options traders are betting that tomorrow's report could sink Apple deeper into the red. Let's get to Mike Coe with the options action. Mike. Hi, Melissa. The options market right now is implying a move of over 6% when it reports tomorrow. That's larger than just over 5%, which is the average of the last eight quarters. And although the sentiment was fairly mixed overall during the day, the most active options were the weekly 280 puts. By the middle of this morning, about 20,000 of those had traded for just over $3. And by the end of the day, over 40,000 had traded. Buyers of those puts are obviously betting that the stock is going to fall below that 280 strike by at least the amount that they paid and probably by that implied move to the downside, which suggests they're expecting disappointing results in terms of price action out of earnings. And while the stock is lower uh, on the year, year on year, it's up substantially and is priced probably not that far off of its all-time highs in terms of forward earnings. So it might be that that they're looking at, that the stock is fairly fully priced here. Pete, do you think we're setting up for a disappointment tomorrow? Don't, and I think Mike might, might agree with me on this aspect of it. It could be just protection, Mel. We, we've watched these stocks that have raced to the upside, whether it's Facebook or Amazon or Netflix or anything, any of these names that race to the upside in front of earnings. And I think sometimes you're looking for some protection. This literally could be protection that's being bought just for the earnings call. And if they're wrong and the stock moves to the downside, they've got that protection in place. So I'm still bullish on the call. And I think based upon what I've already seen coming in so far, I think Apple's poised to have a great quarter. All right, Mike, thanks for that. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, Grammy winner DJ Khaled is with us. He's going all in on the fight against the coronavirus. The big money he's bringing in for those most in need. Stay with us.
Welcome back to Fast Money. The coronavirus crisis is putting pressure on food security for millions of Americans, and that's got sports apparel exec and 76ers partner Michael Rubin stepping up with his all-in challenge. It's a digital fundraiser that's raising money to feed those in need. Celebrities, athletes, and entertainment's biggest stars are teaming up to auction off their time and most prized possessions. Since launching two weeks ago, the all-in challenge has raised more than $24 million. And this week, the challenge added a new ambassador, Grammy Award winner DJ Khaled. Michael Rubin and DJ Khaled join us now. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and thank you so much for doing the work that you're doing right now with the All In Challenge. DJ, I'll start it off with you. What is it that you are auctioning off and what drew you uh, to participate here? Well, um, how you doing? Bless up. Well, I'm, I'm giving an experience a way that you can come to Miami and you can jet ski with me. Everybody that knows me lo- knows I love the jet ski and Miami's a beautiful place, and jet skiing with DJ Khaled is, is, a, is an amazing experience. And after that, we're going to have dinner. Um, and I chose that experience because I wanted it to be personal. I wanted it to be personal, and I wanted it to be a vibe. So, you know, other people are doing things like Kevin Hart. He's, he's putting somebody in a movie and getting them their own dressing room and trailer with their own assistant. You know, Tom Brady, you know, is giving away his, his jersey sign from his first game, and, you know, Meek Mills is giving his fandom away, and, you know, um, everybody, like, from Drake is letting you fly on his big cargo jet and go to his concert. You know, all in challenges, so many different challenges and experiences and things that you can get, and it's all going to be helping the people in the world, you know what I'm saying, and giving back, you know what I'm saying, the people that's in need, you know, we're going to feed the world and we're going to uplift people, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, I think you got some bidders probably out there in our audience and certainly on this Fast Money panel. Uh, Michael, I'll go to you. What, what, um, possess, not, not possess, what pushed you to start this and what's your overall goal? How long could this, the coronavirus pandemic go on for a, a long time? So how long do you hope to keep this going? Yeah, so first, I really have the belief that as a leader in sports, leader in business, that we have a responsibility to step up during a difficult time and really make a difference. And when you look out and you see there's so many giant problems from this pandemic, but food insecurity is a giant one. So many people are hungry. So that's when, you know, I realized we had a great opportunity to bring every athlete, every artist, every celebrity together to go all in and donate one incredible item or one incredible experience to help raise as much money as possible uh, for food insecurity. Our goal, and we didn't actually want to get out in the beginning, but our goal is to raise at least $100 million. We've been at it for two weeks. We've raised over $24 million. 100% of the money that we raise goes to four leading um, charities, all the money to, to helping to feed people. And it works two ways. You go to the All In Challenge website, and you can either make donations as small as 10 to $25 for a chance to win so many different incredible experiences, like playing golf with Justin Timberlake and Bill Murray, like being in Kevin Hart's movie, like being in Leonardo DiCaprio's movie. Or you can bid on items like in the next day or two. Tonight, we have... David Blaine, who will fly to your house and do a private magic show just for you and your friends and then teach you individually how to do magic. That's an incredible auction. Walmart came in today. They went all in. And the CEO is giving a chance to individuals to bid for an opportunity for small businesses to come in and pitch the CEO of Walmart and his management team on their product and get a chance to get that product into Walmart. Saturday Night Live, as an example, is giving you an opportunity to actually write the, the weekend update jokes. So there's so many different incredible experiences where everyone's coming together with one goal, mm-hmm. which is how do we raise as much money as possible for food insecurity? It's a great cause. Thank you both so much for joining us, DJ Khaled and Michael Rubin. We appreciate it, and we appreciate the work you're doing. 
uh, to help put food on the table out there. All right, coming up, we've got uh, final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Yeah, high-octane oil trade. If you want to buy Petrobras, you get both the oil dynamic and you get the currency trade in Brazil. This trade has worked at times like this. Take a shot. Pete Nigerian. Yeah, Mel, our, our options markets have absolutely been swamped with semiconductors. I'm going to go with Micron. I think Micron's got real to the upside still. I think there's going up towards 60. Karen Beinerman. Yes. Bank of America, the same one as yesterday. I think, you know, we're going to have asset management business doing great this quarter. We know there's big provisions, but also the capital markets group is just going to be crushing it. Everyone's issuing billions of dollars. Bank of America. Guy Adami. Hey, Melms, who's your favorite sixer of all time? Would it be the great Dr. J or Georgetown's own Alan Iverson, AI? Iverson. Yeah, 100 percent. I knew you were going to say that. It's really amazing. You know, even virtually we're in each other's head, which makes me happy. You know what else makes me happy? As Tim has mentioned, this move in energy, we talked about PSX a couple weeks ago. Stay with that sucker. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.